Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears, we will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. Hi, Lindley. Hi. Lovelies, Lindley Ashline is my guest today, and I'm very excited. First of all, Lindley's wearing a fabulous sparkly top and has rainbow hair. And second of all, Lindley, I was telling Lindley before we started that I have been following her for years. Your newsletter, Lindley, the work that you do with photography is just so important. And I'm so honored that you're here to talk about all of that with us. So huge, huge welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I feel like um, occasionally people do fangirl a little bit when I show up places these days. And um, and it's always a bit of a surprise because I'm, I'm just one person yelling into the void. And the it turns out the void is actually pretty great. <laughs> right? I know. I know. I feel like that a lot too. Cause I kind of just, yeah, I talk into a mic and then I put it out there and then you forget that people actually receive it and it impacts them. And your work has definitely impacted me in a lot of ways. You're even just the resources you put out to support other fat people. Like there, you have an amazing list. I actually just bought this recently from your site, a list of 112, I think it might be even more now. Um, health at every size, anti-diet, fat positive podcasts. Like what an amazing, amazing resource. And I think we're on it now. I was like, Lindley, please add us. Um, <laughs> okay. Yay. So yeah. So anyway, so before I explain everything about you, uh, could you please tell us about yourself? Who are you, Lindley? Yeah. Uh, I'm Lindley Ashline. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, I am a, uh, borderline super fat. So I'm a very fat person, um, but I'm not at the very end of that spectrum. Um, cisgender white woman who lives outside Seattle, Washington. And everything that I do uh, is based around body liberation in some way. Uh, I'm a photographer. I'm a writer. I'm an activist. I'm a consultant. Um, and all of these things come back to at their core, the framework of, of fat liberation and body liberation. Um, so I do a lot of health at every size work. I do a lot of, uh, sort of consumer level advocacy in healthcare provider spaces for fat patients. Um, I'm often the one who is kind of giving a reality check to thin white healthcare providers, um, because I'm often the only fat person who has access to those spaces. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of an informal advisor. Um, I do, um, boudoir and portrait and small business photo sessions here in Seattle. I sell stock photography. I know Sophia wants to talk about that for sure. Um, and just a lot of different things. I have a short attention span, so this works really well for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Are you also a Gemini like I am? 
I'm not. I'm a cancer. <laughs> You're a cancer. Okay. Okay. I always blame my um, short attention span and my desire to do like lots of shiny new things on being a Gemini. So maybe cancer has a little bit of that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I feel like I feel like cancers are all feelings all the time. And so, so this lets me sort of put my feelings in lots of different... I have a lot of feelings, so I get to spread them around. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. I love it. So, Lindley... What has your journey been with the word fat? Especially, I love what you just said that every aspect of your life now is involved in fat activism in some way. And I, but I imagine it wasn't always like that. So how did you, what's been your journey? No. Uh, so I was actually an average size kid. And so, um, uh, in, in sort of the, both in the social justice world and, and in the fat community, we talk about the concept of privilege. And, and if you're listening to this podcast, I suspect that you're already familiar with the basics of that. Um, but I had the privilege of not being a fat child. I did not have people putting me on diets as a child. I did not have people shaming me about my body. And so uh, at puberty, suddenly I, um, I grew out as well as up. And, and suddenly I looked like every other woman in my family. Uh, my genetic heritage kicked in and suddenly I looked like the German as I was and am. And so, and so, uh, you know, with a few hundred years in between after, after immigrating here, but, but suddenly my body was bad, uh, and my body was fat. And it was a, as a child who didn't have a lot of exposure to pop culture, um, it was a real shock because I suddenly started absorbing those messages and discovering they were aimed at me. Um, and so just like, all of us, I absorbed those messages. Um, and I had, I had a lot of things to, to pick apart later, but, uh, so when I, I'm going to name a clothing size, a U.S. clothing size. So, you know, content note for that, for folks who are listening. Um, at the time that I graduated high school, I was about a U.S. 18, uh, which looking back on that now, I'm like, oh, that was so that that's average size. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't all that bad. Um, but at the time it was very difficult for me to find clothing. Um, this was really a little bit before internet shopping was a thing. And, uh, and so I felt very, um, set apart by my size, even though it was a pretty typical American size. <laughs> um, and, and I had absorbed so much shame around that. And I, I dieted as a young adult and I, I flagellated myself in all the ways that we're encouraged to do. And, um, and, and temporarily had some pretty disordered eating habits, um, because I was dieting really hard. Um, and I was actually very lucky. My body did not, um, I did not develop, uh, I didn't wait cycle for long enough through dieting, uh, because my body said, that's nice. <laughs> we're going to stay, we're going to stay more or less the same way we are. <laughs> um, no, no matter what you're doing. And in, at the time, that was very frustrating. But in hindsight, I was very lucky because we know scientifically that weight cycling is can be devastating for the human body. And so my body protected me in a way that was also um, that I was very lucky. Uh, so I've been fat my whole adult life. Um, but of course, as a young adult, I would never have identified with that word. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of went from zero to relatively radical pretty fast in about 2007, 
2008, um, I had been on LiveJournal for many years. Yes, LiveJournal. <laughs> yeah, remember LiveJournal? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> and I ran across the, this uh, this LiveJournal community called Fashionista. Oh. Uh, which, which it turns out, um, I was reading the other day a book called Fat Activism by Charlotte Cooper uh, that traces the whole history of of the fat activism movement. And that that liberal community is in there. So it, it was formative for a lot of people. Um, but that was my first exposure to like outfit of the day photos. And, and suddenly here were all these fat, primarily cis women who were trendy and fashionable and didn't hide their bodies. And I was, I was wearing, you know, baggy clothing and, and avoiding horizontal stripes. And again, all those things that uh, a, a quote, good, unquote, fat person will do. Um, and, and it was just this absolute, an- again, another shock to the system that there were people who didn't buy into this shame framework. Um, and so even though I am not a particularly, uh, a person who is particularly interested in fashion or in clothing, um, I have a lot of sensory needs in my life. And so my, my ideal clothing is just soft and comfortable. Um, but suddenly, suddenly I realized that I could have clothing options and I was allowed to choose things that, that I thought were attractive, that I liked on me. Um, and so from there, I started, started following fat activist blogs. Um, Kate Hardy and Marianne Kirby were both very formative for me at the time. Um, and, and from there, I just, now, note, note that I wasn't posting anything. I was just lurking, <laughs> uh, which is really common. Um, so in that sort of education stage, I was just absorbing. I was reading. I was reading the science, the science behind bodies and weight. I was reading, uh, you know, the studies and how, why dieting doesn't work and, and uh, about fat liberation and, and what would later become sort of body positivity and, and all these things are just absorbing it. Yeah. How was it making you feel like starting to have that realizations and having kind of like the wool pulled off a little bit? Well, to, to come over to fat joy for a second, um, I, I started realizing that I could have joy in my own body. Oh yeah. Like these little snippets, uh, through, through finding an outfit that I really liked on me and photographing it and, and liking, liking the picture that I saw. Um, but also, honestly, mostly I just really got mad. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I had lost all that time. And, and mind you, I was, uh, I was 27 or 28 at the time. I was pretty young. I hadn't lost that much time compared to people who have spent their whole lives surrounded by this. But I got so mad on my own behalf and on behalf of everybody who, who has been affected by this for their whole lives and who has been sad and miserable and deprived and not able to access the joy of a good meal or the joy of eating in community or the joy of being in community or the joy of of doing anything else in our bodies because we've been told that that's bad. Um, and I've talked a lot in, in some other contexts about, about it, so I won't go into a huge amount of detail here, but we... I, when I learned that uh, fat phobia and weight stigma are offshoots of racism, that was, again, another of these absolute shocks. And I just had no idea. Um, 
And, and that was another point where I just got really mad. So, you know, anger isn't an, a, an emotion we consider attractive. Um, but it has been this very fierce, searing emotion that has driven a lot of my own activism that drove me to start my own business and, and that has driven me to make space in my own life for joy. Um, because of this anger and this, you can't stop me. <laughs> Screw you. Screw you. I'm making space in my own life for this. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I interviewed a guest the other day and she was like, my joy is rebellious. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> amazing. Wow. So this started happening for you around 27, 28. That's amazing. And so you were absorbing, you're kind of lurking. And then, and then, and then when came the explosion? Well, I guess after a couple of years, I started tentatively putting out my own little outfit of the day photos and um, just just like dipping a toe into speaking myself um, in, in, in one way or another. And, and when I'm saying speaking, I mean, just like I started a Tumblr and I started putting outfit of the day photos on it. Um, and I started I started participating in discussions and I started um, just just like I said, sort of putting my toe out a little. Um, but it wasn't until about 2015 that, uh, I had ended up, I had moved across the country from the East coast, uh, in part to take this job, this full-time career corporate job that was supposed to be, it was supposed to be the dream job. It was supposed to be the one I was going to stay at for 20 years. And it was a disaster. Uh, it was terrible and toxic and, and, uh, I was being mistreated in, in my department. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. Um, I also didn't know at the time, but I have figured out since that I'm also autistic. And so um, not being able to work in a schedule that was good for my body and brain and not being able to have my own sensory environment and so on um, was taking a toll that I didn't, I was always extremely stressed and I didn't know why. So there was also that going on. And I just said, I can't, I can't, I'm done with the corporate world. I can't do this anymore. Um, and once again, I, I want to note that, that, um, this, this concept of privilege, I had the ability because I have a partner who is our primary income earner. Um, I was able to jump into my own business. Uh, and I try to talk about that every time I talk about my story, because it's, it's so important to acknowledge that. Um, but I, I sat down with my husband and I said, Hey, if I dive off into my own thing, you know, would you be okay with that? And he's been very supportive. Um, and, and so I did in 2016, I think was when I jumped fully into it. And, uh, and that, that my cancer feelings and my anger and that, that had been driving me was part of the decisions I made at the time to do photography and to work primarily with fat folks and, and to, to have an active component to this work. Uh, because, uh, because I knew right away that, uh, that there was this, you know, market gap. Um, if you, and now it has changed since then somewhat. It is now possible to find, to find a fat positive photographer if you're willing to travel. It is now possible to find some kind of body positive photographer in, uh, at least in the U.S., in almost every major city. There's somebody. <laughs> but at the time, there was just nothing. And 
and so not only was I, of course, looking for a business niche that, that I could sustainably have a business in, um, but also I knew immediately I wanted to work with fat folks because this is a lived experience that I also have. We have this in common. Um, I know how fat bodies move and function. Uh, and, and I wanted to bring that, uh, you know, that's kind of safe experience to fat folks. Uh, because if you look at the mainstream photography industry, it's extremely anti-fat. It's extremely as like into aspirational bodies and, and, you know, it's, it's very fat phobic. And so, so those things that have been driving me this whole time, um, sort of clicked into place. And that was when I really started speaking out, um, because on a practical level, I had social media channels and I needed something to say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Amazing. Wow. And, and your business started to grow, I imagine. And yeah. When did you start to break into consulting? I don't know if I know that mu as much about that side of what you do. Oh, um, okay. So, so I, I, I sort of started purely with, with boudoir and portrait photography and, and things have sort of added on over time, just as, as the need has arisen or as people have asked for them. Uh, so in 2017, I started doing stock photography. Um, in my corporate career, I had, um, I had ended up in a marketing department because I survived, I survived a layoff as a corporate writer. And I had never done any marketing and I ended up getting sort of shoved over into a marketing department because no one, no one knew what to do with me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. Just, just put Lindley over in marketing. And so I, I learned marketing like sort of on the fly. So, uh, so I, you know, had been the one often who was picking stock photos, who was finding, uh, if you're not familiar with stock photos, they're the photos that, that people use often people in marketing, uh, small business people and so on use to, uh, to have images for their business. Uh, because unless you're like Coca-Cola or something, you're normally not hiring a photographer to create photos for a marketing campaign. Usually there's somebody who was going out and picking those from a stock photo site. And the people who create those photos are really only creating uh, thin white people's photos for those commercial uses. Uh, and so, again, I got mad. <laughs> um, because Getty had launched this, uh, Getty Images had, had launched this stock photo collection that was supposed to be like a size inclusive collection or a body positive collection. And the, the photos were very nice, good quality, of course, because it's Getty. They're, they're, you know, the, the foremost, uh, stock photo agency, but all of these photos were, uh, of like size 10 to 12 US people who were who were they looked like models because they are models um and and so you know they all had perfect teeth and photoshop skin and so on and they were and they were still below the average size of people in the u.s uh and this was supposed to be inclusive and so again i got mad i was like well i can do that <laughs> and do it and do it more inclusively so so that was how we added on the stock photos um, and then let's see, that was also about the time I started getting involved in, like I said, healthcare provider spaces, uh, because I, I had ended up knowing a number of people who were health at every size, uh, therapists and dietitians, and they started adding me to their Facebook groups, their provider groups. And I was very clear that, 
you know, I'm, I'm a photographer with an English degree. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a healthcare provider, but if you want me in here, okay. Oh, and, and so as I spent time in these Facebook groups, I started seeing things where I'm like, Oh, um, okay. But that, let me tell you how that's actually going to come, come across to your fat patients. <laughs> and maybe, maybe if, okay, if you phrase this this way, this is going to do damage. Why don't we rethink this? <laughs> Almost like a sensitivity reader, but for those Facebook groups. That's so interesting. Yeah, and I've been doing some of that in the last couple of years as well. Oh, that's great. I've thought a lot about that. Actually, I, I'm also a creative writing coach. And so I'm always like watching for stuff like that. And I was, I actually, I didn't, I'm very glad to hear that there are people like you who specialize in reading for body diversity rather than what a lot of people are reading for is like ableism or racism or that kind of stereotyping, but less so about body size. So that's great, Lindley. I'm so happy to hear that. I will add you to my list of like people to reach out to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, I'm always happy to talk about any of these things as well. Anybody who's listening, you know, please feel free to uh, please feel free to reach out if you want to know more about doing any of these lines of work, uh, because because they're all needed. Uh, but as I as I became more of a known presence in these provider communities, uh, gradually people started reaching out and saying, hey, uh, can you come to a workshop uh, at my dietitian practice? Um, on Zoom and and talk to me about what we should be doing in our practice. Or can I grab an hour on your calendar? And and I would need to talk through a situation I have with a few clients where they have the lived experience of being very fat and I don't. And I want to make sure that I'm not hurting them. You know, and and so it has each thing has sort of built on the next. Uh, and then then so when when those folks write books, because I'm a known quantity in that community. Uh, they go, oh, okay, let me go talk to Lindley and see if she's got availability for this. And so, uh, you know, I'm also a controversial figure in those communities. And as someone who grew up, <laughs> as someone who grew up Southern in, in the Southern U.S. and, and who, uh, who had to figure out how to feel and express anger as an adult, um, this whole anger thing was very new. <laughs> uh, and so, so I've done a lot of therapy work, uh, to be, you know, to be very honest and clear. Like I, I wasn't born knowing how to talk about there's this societal thing that sucks and needs to change. <laughs> it's a, it's been a matter of practice and therapy. Um, so, so this, this expression of anger, you know, is very, at the time was very new when I started doing feeling and doing activism around it. But, and, and I guess that's why it's such a driving force because it's, it's different and this is what caused it. But, but when you are, especially when you are neurodivergent, um, and you are also, um, again, I am white, but I am also very fat. Um, my lived experience is very different from most people who are in thin or average sized bodies. And when you are speaking out, and especially in closed communities and groups where you are the only one who is saying, ooh, <laughs> um, there's pushback. And there's, you know, some people really are ready to hear that. And some people are really, really, really not. Uh, and so, 
Yeah. So 50% of the, of, of the Hayes healthcare provider community thinks I'm great and the other half can't stand me. And that's, okay. that's so interesting. Even at the health at every size community. Hmm. You know, any people there really want to do well. Um, but it's really easy, just like with any other area of social justice, it's really easy to, to say you want to do well and it's really difficult, like genuinely difficult when someone who is a marginalized person, especially when we're talking about provider patient levels of power differentials, it's really hard to have someone who you are used to having way below you in the hierarchy, uh, professionally, personally, whatever. It's hard to give up that some of that power. And it's really hard to do it when that person is telling you that you're wrong. It's so interesting. There, Literally yesterday, one of my best friends was having this, she'd gone out with this guy a couple of times and he was mansplaining. And this is a guy who she dated, she went on these dates with because... He said, and he was very educated around liberation and anti-oppression. And on their first date, they talked all about the patriarchy. But the moment she told him, hey, you're actually exhibiting patriarchy right now in these conversations because you keep mansplaining and talking over me, he was out. Even someone who is like so informed and claimed to be a feminist and anti-patriarchy and all of that. And I mean, I've lost family, I've lost friends, and it's it's hard to, and it, yeah, and I don't blame people. It's really hard to open and be curious when your your power and your privilege are challenged by someone who you view as perhaps lesser than or especially with fatness, I find so many people view it as a choice. So therefore, they shouldn't have to listen to anything I say. Because <laughs> I'm just making a bad choice, right? Yeah. And, and healthcare providers specifically have been so set up oh, from med school on. Yeah. And so so they have such a they have such a burden of belief to unpack and unload on top of the indoctrination that we all get, uh, on, on top of what we're all told, you know, from the from the moment we're born, uh, because we know that even three and four year olds have uh, have negative opinions of fat bodies. Which, if you want to be depressed, there's something to be depressed about. But, but on top of that, then then their entire education um, has uh, has taught them things that aren't necessarily evidence based, and and no matter. Just like, um, just like how we all feel about bodies of color, um, and and when I say we all, I'm, I'm using that judiciously. I'm aware that not everyone listening to this is white, um, but it is. It's certainly possible to have internalized, internalized anti-blackness and internalized racism, no matter what your ethnicity is. Um, and and so you know, I want to be clear what I'm saying there, but. Uh, but we all have that to unpack and I have, I have messed up. I mess up all the time. <laughs> I do. Uh, I get called out for it. Uh, I apologize. I try to do better. Like we all have learning opportunities in our lives and we're not always going to handle it in the perfect manner because we also have to learn how to learn. Um, and, and the more, 
the more the messages that we have absorbed over time about how we don't have anything to learn from another group of people or that we're, you know, secretly or not so secretly better than that other group for whatever reason. Um, it's easy not to even be aware of how much of that you're holding on to. And so, so we, we all have to <laughs> figure it out and learn and apologize and do better. And it's always a process. Yeah. It's so true. I love that you named that. I I feel that too. I have I have messed up in some very big ways and it's always hard being called in and and that's like, okay, well, this is the learning and here we go. You know, this is the pain of it, the mess, but then the repair. We can clean up, we can apologize, and we can move forward. And it makes I don't know, it feels it feels worth it because the alternative is to me, the alternative would be to ignore that I'm doing harm. And then, and then what, just live in a strange bubble of unawareness and unconsciousness, which is not at all what I'm interested in. So, yeah, yeah, wow. And so that's so interesting about the consulting with health providers. I think that's so great. Any health provider whose heart and mind you can open is worth it because it really is. I mean, I see this constantly in my socials because I follow obviously a lot of fat people and always Dr. Day is like the most stressful it is for me. And so that's, that's such great work that you're doing there too, Lindley. I'm so glad we got to hear about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and and it, it has begun extending outside just healthcare providers too, which is really cool. Uh, I I've done some some work with um, coaches, um, another photographer actually, which was really cool. Uh, who wanted to expand their uh, expand their audience and 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 start sort of deliberately advertising to fat folks, and but but they're not fat, and so so it's like okay, how do I do this in a way that's authentic? Uh, while not appropriating that that lived experience, but also making it a safe experience, you know, and and uh, and yeah, I'm trying to think who else, um, somebody else in in an entirely unrelated, uh, theoretically unrelated, you know, everything is related in some way because our bodies go with us everywhere. But but yeah, finding these common threads and and for people who just want to be good to their clients and their customers. It's really cool. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I'm it, You're filling me with hope because most of the days I live with rage. So when you're talking about how people are reaching out to you, especially non-fat people who are wanting to create safe spaces for all body sizes, that is, oh, that is freaking hopeful. So amazing. Yay. I do want to touch into stock photography because I think this is where... This is where I first heard about you. It sounds like this is also what you've been doing the longest. And I remember going to your website and I was looking because this was back in, oh gosh, I was so like 20, actually it was probably around when you were starting, like 2015, 2016. I was looking for images from my website because I was kind of starting my, at that time it was Curvilicious Ladies. I'm very embarrassed. <laughs> business. I didn't really know the whole, I was in my th- mid thirties when I kind of found the words and found fat liberation. Before that, it was like through the door of body positivity and then became fat lib. But yeah, your stock photographies and you had, it was, it was, I was, I remember going through your website and it was the first time really, Lindley, that I had seen fat bodies in like work settings, like that, like where I, like, like it could have been me, you know? And 
the fat bodies. Oh, you had some beautiful like beach and water and lake photos. And it was, I, it was so powerful to see those images. And yeah, I've never forgotten that. And there was one woman, oh, I shouldn't, I don't actually know if they identify as a woman, but there's one person who presented, looked female to my eyes, but had this really funky pixie short hair. And I was like, and I think that motivated me to get my hair pixie short. So there were just all these things where it was like that whole, like when you see it, you suddenly know that there are options. And it was, it was really, it was so powerful. Again, I have a, I have a, (laughs) I'm neurodivergent in that I have like zero memory, but I remember those photos. They've always stuck with me for like 10 years now almost. So yeah. Yeah. And I knew exactly which ones because yeah, from your description. Yeah. It was vivid. I knew exactly which ones you meant. Yeah. 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 And, and people do, people do go use the stock photo archives as, as exposure therapy and as for, for drawing inspiration. Like people, people will go in and use it as posing, posing uh uh examples for artwork um like how does a how does a fat elbow look when it's in this position they'll go and browse until they find that which is it's something i had never that had never even occurred to me and how cool is that that's so cool because i've gone to like unsplash is the other kind of stock photographers that i used when i was in marketing and i think i went recently and i was trying to see if there were was body diversity or fat bodies and there was a little bit but there wasn't a lot it certainly wasn't like what you have on your site so i'm really curious about the stock photography piece in terms of the because i remember and again this is why my memory is terrible but i think it was kind of as you were building it there was a real expense to it. And I remember, because I've gotten your newsletter for years, I think you were talking in your newsletter about the impact of this financial expenditure to do this thing that you felt so powerfully about. And I remembered, and I still to this day, like I think this is true of a lot of activism work. (laughs) It costs money and yet there's often not a lot back. So is it okay to talk a little bit about that tension? Yeah, yeah, I've always been really open about that because I do think it's important to to talk about uh because we're so used to things appearing from corporations uh that it's it can be it can be really weird like it it can feel incoherent when activists want money for what they do. Uh, when people ask, uh, activists, artists, small business people, um, of, of all kinds, uh, it can be, it, like I said, it can be kind of disconcerting because we assume that people do that for the love of it. And we, and we just assume, uh, like subconsciously, we, we assume that that is being funded in some way, that it's grant funded or it's, or, oh, they have a, they have a, like a nice polished web presence. So clearly they're making good money or whatever. Um, and so it can feel really weird to, to, and, and it makes, we can think of people who say straight up, this costs me money and resources to do. I need resources to do it. Um, it's easy to think of those people as being pushy or mercenary. Um, and this is something that I've had to, to work on in myself too. <laughs> you know, again, we all have these things to learn. Um, because it does cost money. Um, so, uh, for doing these stock photos, there are the standard kind of photography expenses 
Um, usually I don't need to rent a venue, um, but every once in a while I need to, I need to pay somebody to use their yoga studio or something. Um, there's, there's the, there's travel costs. Um, I offer my models because it's really important to me that nobody gets exploited in this process. Um, because if I'm, if I'm taking advantage of someone to produce this work, um, then not only is it really hypocritical, but then I don't know. I'm not a particularly woo person, but that energy is going to carry through if I'm not treating people well. Um, and from a purely business standpoint, from an extremely non-woo standpoint, your reputation is important as a business. And, and if I'm going around mistreating people or not compensating them, um, that affects my reputation in the end. <laughs> and so, 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 you know, depending on how you want to look at that energy, either way, it's energy. Um, and so, so I offer my models either a living wage per hour that they model, or they can choose to be compensated in images. Um, that way, the people who they're not hard up that, you know, that, that they really want to see themselves and be able to keep those photos as opposed to just watching them for them to appear on Instagram or whatever, um, or look at them on the site, they can receive the, the high resolution images and they can get them printed. They can put them in an album, whatever they want to do. Um, or they can choose that living wage. Uh, and that also helps people access this. Um, it gives them a, the ability to work with a professional photographer um, to represent people like them with bodies like theirs. Um, and, and, you know, that's not just fat folks. I've worked with some absolutely amazing trans folks um, with some people, uh, some black, black and other people of color who are whose bodies aren't as big, but it's it's really important to represent them, too. Um, and some black super fat folks and, and, you know, super fat folks of color. Don't mind. Don't get me wrong. But um uh, I, you know, I try to focus on the most, the fattest people because that is the biggest need that hasn't been filled. But at any rate, um, it lets people access that who otherwise, who would never be able to afford working with a professional photographer and wouldn't even necessarily be able to afford the bus fare to come be a stock photo model. Uh, and so, so paying them that living wage is really, really important. Um, but that's, when you have, say, 15 people in a uh, a fake yoga class that you've put together, that's a lot of money really fast. And so so it took it took a really long time, years and years, for the stock photos to even like to break even as far as costs. Uh, and so uh, so on a good on a good month, you know, let's be open. Um, on a good month, I'll make a few hundred dollars total. Uh, from stock photos um, as part of my revenue streams. Um, on a bad month, it'll be, you know, just a few dollars. Um, that that number does slowly grow over time, which is good. Uh, and either way, it's worth having. The, wor the work is worth it, no matter whether it supports me or not. Um, but to be able to do the work, I do require some kind of support, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I'm a really big fan of Kelly Deals. I don't know if you've heard of Kelly. Yeah. And, you know, she talks about, look, if you're running a, an, you know, a feminist business, the feminist has to be able to thrive too, you know, <laughs> like the, the owner. I'm so glad to hear that it has grown. It's continuing to grow. And I think, and thank you for being so honest about like it, took years to get to that point. Yeah. 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 And, and the people who, 
uh, the people who subscribe to my Patreon, uh, which right now is my primary revenue stream, um, the people who subscribe to that, uh, if you're interested in that, I won't give you the sales pitch right now, but there are a ton of there are a ton of benefits and rewards from being a Patreon supporter beyond the warm fuzzies. But the warm fuzzy end is that the folks who are on the Patreon subsidize efforts like the stock photos um, because that is where the money comes from so that I can pay my share of the bills, that I can pay my share of the mortgage uh, and and be able to do this work uh, and not be doing it in bits and pieces on the bus while I'm commuting to a full-time job, you know? And and so uh, because I, I've done that, I can't, it's not sustainable and so, so that allows me, on one hand, it allows me to, to do this work. But on the other, I've realized as I'm speaking that I'm falling into describing this as if it's a charity project. It allows me to play. No, it's work. And it's just as valid as a CEO, what a CEO is doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, lect- I'm lecturing I'm lecturing myself in real time here. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's hard not to fall into it, though. I feel like this is one of the challenges, perhaps, of of both being a solopreneur, but also kind of that activism thing. Like you said, like people, it, it, we we kind of assume it's just happening. It's like, no, like, I mean, I, I have learned this the hard way running a podcast. It is blood, sweat, and tears to create this podcast. I am shocked. I'm very glad I did not know how much work it would be when I started it. And I do, I have to fit it in the corners of my life. I'm trying to figure out how to monetize. It's very challenging. And, and it's a real, there's a real, it, it costs a lot of money every month. And so, yeah, there is a real impact on, you know, and this is where I think Patreon is so wonderful. And in my case, I have Patreon and also the Apple subscriptions because it's like people who want to see more of it, people who want to support these efforts have a beautiful way to do so. So I'm so glad that that you're receiving that support for, yeah, being the CEO of your company. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Um, for the stock photography, is there like a next stage or do you just keep adding? Like what's your dream for it? Oh, um, there's, there's a two next stage, two parts of the next stage. I think, um, I'm actually still, uh, so let's see, uh, as we record this, it's late March, 2023. And I am still, uh, in part because I've had a couple of injuries that have, uh, have sidelined me a bit as far as my ability to, to do computer work lately, but I'm still processing and uploading photos from before the pandemic. So even though I have not photographed any, any new stock photos during the pandemic, I have, uh, I'm still churning out new things because they're, they were backlogged. Um, but I have not been able to do new stock photos during the pandemic because, uh, part of my my ethical framework of of doing the least harm possible in this work is not putting people at risk. Um, and and then I was injured in cutting. Um, so part of my next step is hopefully to to be able to uh, mask up and start doing some more new photos. Um, and the other is that I'm really trying to get more publicity for it uh, because I also spent. Speaking of expenses and and blood, sweat, and tears behind the scenes, um, to have a functional site for stock photo sales, 
uh, you need a backend that will automatically create different resolutions of images for you that will allow people to buy credits and use credits. Um, all of these things that being a one person business, um, it, you know, it took years to get the back end of the site because I'm not a developer. Um, and so it, it took years and being married to a developer. To, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. To get, to get the site to where it was as functional. Cause you look at, you look at any other stock photo site. If you look at iStock or Getty or Dreams Time or whatever, um, it, to get it to that functionality to even function like one of those being one person, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. But, uh, so the, 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 the framework is in place. The tech is in place. And so now I need more traffic essentially. And so I'm, I'm really trying to get media attention, uh, and to try to get publicity. And so, so it's sort of a dual because I always want to be turning out new things. Uh, and before we started recording, you were talking about, uh, talking about trying to find stock photos of fat children who are just like living their lives and not being, overly depressed or weirdly excited or whatever. Um, and right now I don't have any photos of kids except for a few of kids doing family yoga. Uh, and so there's so many, there's so many topics that need to be filled right now. I don't have any healthcare. I desperately need healthcare photos. I desperately need photos of kids. There are so many needs. Uh, I'm also trying to get more contributors, uh, so that we can fill these needs because, uh, you know, the more perspectives we have, the better. And so I'm, I'm always trying to recruit contributors as well. Right now I have five or six. Amazing. Oh, I love this. I love this. I, you know, I, it, on the one hand, and this is, I guess, maybe, I don't know if other people feel this way, but on the one hand, I really take photography for granted. And then, you know, and I don't really think about it too much. I don't really think too much about the images I see as I've moved throughout my day. And then I'm in a uh, meeting for a company that I do leadership coaching for and the marketing department is unveiling their beautiful new branding. Here are all the diverse ethnicities and no diversity of body. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, do I be the fat person who says something, writes a little note on Slack to the marketing team? And do I have anywhere to direct anyone to direct them to, you know, for those? And of course, I know I think of you, but it's just like it's when I'm then confronted with it in a where in a place where I feel like it should have been thought about. It should have been done differently. I think about this when I see like medical. Pl I've been spending a lot of time in medical facilities lately because I have endometriosis. So I'm like in and out of gynae offices, which are you know, and my family doctor and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's all, there's no, there's no size range of bodies that are presented in images. And so it's interesting on the one hand, it seems like a little thing, but it's actually a huge thing to see those images. And we know research has shown us that the more variety of bodies, um, skin colors, physical, you know, whether someone is in a chair, whether, you know, just physical differences as well, the less unconscious bias we have, the more tolerant we are. Like, it's all such good stuff. And I'm, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm kind of like what's in my heart is like, I'm just so grateful for you doing this work. I'm grateful for your efforts because I've been watching your efforts for years and it's really worth it. It's really worth it. It really is. And then it's, it's, it's such a good reminder to hear that on, you know, days when 
when I when I've been getting Twitter trolled or days when <laughs> days when I have a new software expense that I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just did my taxes today. My account was like, what happened last year? I'm like, Shannon, I started a podcast. She's like, say no more. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Right? <laughs> I'm curious about trolls for you. How, I'm always curious when people are like kind of high profile and they get trolls because I'm now starting to get trolls. How do you deal with them? Because I'm determining what my solution is. Right now, I just delete them all. Do you like engage? Do you delete? Do you educate? Like what's your approach to trolls? Oh, I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on this. Um, I really think we should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my, okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I do and then where it comes from. Um, so delete and block, delete and block, delete and block. It's not a democracy, right? It's my page. That's what I feel too. I'm like, fuck you. It's my page. You don't get to come here and be an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Like it's my living room. You don't get to come in and poop on the floor. Yes. Oh, I like that better. Oh, that is so Southern. Where, where did you grow up in the South? <laughs> Hickory, North Carolina. Ah, oh, I lived in Milledgeville, Georgia for a while. So talking to you, I'm actually noticing I'm trying to stop the accent that I had from coming up. But it's wanting to, Lindley. I could talk like this and just do the whole interview in this Georgia accent that I developed when I lived down there. But I'm going to like try to rein it in. <laughs> but I, I feel right at home. <laughs> right? I know. I kind of want to say y'all a lot. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Okay, so delete and block. And where does that come from? Well... Two reasons. Uh, one, I'm, I'm very clear or I try to be clear that I don't do a lot of 101 level education. There are people who are wonderful at, uh, taking, taking other people down the path of knowledge from being extremely invested in diet culture to rebelling against that. I'm not that person. Me neither. I'm so glad to hear you say it because I always feel bad. Like I should, I should be that person. I'm not, I'm not patient I, I think, enough. I think we all feel like we should in part because in part, because there are so many concern trolls out there who are like, I'm just asking questions. Um, and, and the, again, there are people who, who do that. Uh, Reagan Chastain is wonderful for that. Jess Baker is wonderful for that. Virgie Tovar is wonderful for that. Um, there, there are people out there who, are both excellent at it and thrive on it. That's not me and that's okay. My work is for the people who are ready for it, which means that some people will come in and they'll be horrified and then they will self-select out. And sometimes they're gonna yell about it on the way out, that's fine. Um, and, and then some people are gonna come in and go, oh, this is, this is where I'm at. This is meeting me where I'm at. Um, but, but where those people are at isn't, isn't usually the very first step. And that's okay. So sometimes it is. And, and sometimes people are ready for that leap too. Um, but the other thing is that I feel like I have a responsibility to my community. And the larger my audience becomes, the more serious that responsibility gets. And if I am in the comments arguing with trolls, it means that those trolls are getting oxygen. It means that those comments are staying up. And now sometimes, especially on Facebook, um, because of course moderation works differently on every platform. Um, sometimes, if, sometimes people will find a troll comment or a concern troll before I get to it, and there will be a giant discussion. And I may choose to just block that person, but leave the discussion up because other people did a lot of labor already. Um, but in general, I don't want my my audience, my readers, my community exposed to that stuff. You know, and not only can they, you know, is it everywhere else? But but you know. Why not have my space be the space that is safe from that? 
Um, and, and then the third thing is that I, <laughs> over time, I finally learned that in general, people who, people who are engaging negatively, they're not there because they can be convinced. They are there because it's an exercise of power and control and of threatened privilege to see other people who aren't invested in the same systems they are. Um, but they're not there because they really want to have a discussion about it. The people who are there for discussion, generally you can tell. And so I just delete and block, delete and block, delete and block. I love it. That's very similar to the strategy I've been taking. So it's actually very justifying to hear. I'm like, oh, good. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I love it. So from trolls, we're going to go to bringing fat joy into the work that you do. So tell us how you do that. Yeah. When, when we were talking about this pre-recording, uh, I narrated that I, I was, had sort of ended up dividing this in my head into my photography work and everything else that I do because the approaches are quite different. Uh, so in my photography work, when I'm working with people, and, and this is the same for clients who come in for boudoir or small business branding or, or portraits uh, or stock photo models. Um, so much of it is about making space for joy. And I realize that that sounds very trite, but, but there's solid things that I end up doing to help create that space. Um, part of it is honoring people's bodies, wherever their bodies are at that day. Um, I quite often am working with people with limited mobility and that's Okay. Um, now that I'm in my 40s, I have days of limited mobility myself. Me too. Did it happen <laughs> you know? when you, I turned 40, my body was like, hello, this is now a new era. Did you find the same thing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I've started every time I every time I am on location somewhere for photography now, I bring a folding stool because if because if 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 my client doesn't need it, I'm gonna need it at some point. <laughs> so 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 honoring people's bodies where they're at and and honoring on, not just honoring what those bodies need from like, I need a drink of water standpoint, but also a um, not expecting more out of those bodies than those bodies are going to be able to give that day. Um, making, literally making the space for, okay, if we're gonna, if, if I, if it's a 60 minute session and we have, uh, and this body is, is telling me through this, either because this person is expressing their needs or because I'm reading their body language, they're telling me they've got half an hour in them. That's fine. We'll space that half an hour out. We will take lots of breaks. It'll be fine. Um, and so they're not pushing their bodies in ways that are going to make them unhappy on the spot. Uh, and if you are unhappy or uncomfortable on the spot, it's going to show in the photos too. <laughs> and your experience is going to color the way you see those photos. Um, but the other part of it is leaving space for whatever emotions come up. Um, I worked with a client last year who, uh, we went out into this beautiful park in West Seattle and we stood on the pathway, uh, in the woods, in this beautiful park, in the sunshine. And she cried, um, because that was the emotion that came up for her in that moment. She was going through, you know, a hard period in her life. And, and I know that doesn't sound like it's about joy. But that release um, and of, of honoring that release by with her consent, you know, I mean, she's standing there crying. I'm checking in before I bring that camera up to my eye. Um, but with her consent, I captured that. Um, the, the photos are beautiful. Um, she has uh, elected to have those remain private. So they're not on my side anywhere. But 
Uh, but then that opened up the space for some joy later on. Um, and the other thing is just making sessions fun. Um, because I'm I'm a doofus in person. <laughs> like what you're what what you are hearing here, you're getting. I'm a little I'm a little spacey. I'm a little scattered. Um, uh, except when I'm being extremely organized, it's going to be one or the other. Um, but but we're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. We're going to take lots of breaks. And if I'm like tripping over things and laughing about it, it's really hard to be intimidated or <laughs> or afraid when when I'm being a goofball. So just letting letting that joy come out making that space um and for my other work um so much of what i am doing is about correction or about anger or about fierceness um but i have the privilege to take that on so that other people fat people who are just living their lives can go have a good time uh i, I don't know at dave and buster's that night uh without uh, you know, and they can bring some joy into their life with some silly ski ball. Um, just making up scenarios here. Um, because I have done, uh, you know, because I have done the fierceness and the the anger and the powerfulness of helping them along their journey, and also, you know, helping other people not be fat phobic jerks, so that that fat person can go have some joy with ski ball at Dave and Buster's and not get stared at or have a negative comment. And so it's so it's really about balancing those scales in a way that that I can do for other people. Yeah. And that's such a powerful motivator. I mean, again, I'm I'm I know people who listen know this. Like I started the podcast for that reason. I was filled with rage. I was like, okay, obviously I need some joy. Let's do so, let's have a podcast about that. And it it really is about I'm I'm not doing it from myself, I'm doing it for other people, for whoever's listening. And if it helps them feel one more sense of not like belonging or, you know, gentleness towards themselves or a family member or a friend or the world, like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the motivation. Yeah. Beautiful. I wanted to ask you about your newsletter next, but before we do, I have a question I really want to ask you, which is, is there, I find this in coaching, so I'm curious if it's the same in photography. When I'm coaching people, there's often a moment where I find like the client has some realization and surprises themselves. And I'm like, that's it. That's the microsecond. That's why I do this. And it's like, I get f filled with pure joy and excitement for them. Is there a moment like that as you're phot photographing people where you just see, because like I've had boudoir photography and I remember the moments that I had when it was done of where I was just like, I'm like, I am the sexiest goddess in the world. And it was just like, I'd never felt like that kind of power. But it was, again, it's this rebellious power because I think that's what really works for me. And I'm just wondering if there is like, do you, you have that when you're with clients? I think it depends on the person. Yeah, it depends on the person. It depends on the context. Uh, because I have everybody, a whole range across people who are just starting to see, to be willing and able to see themselves on camera, even in just like a, a, a beautiful, gentle, fully closed portrait in a very traditional position, all the way up to, to people who are like, I'm naked, I'm coming, you know, let's do it. <laughs> that is my next challenge. I'm dying to do a naked one and I, but I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, so it's, 
And and the thing is that it's not just that the people who are at the earliest stages of that journey can have those moments, but it so much depends on the person, where we are, what we're doing, um, how nervous they are and how much they're, you know, how much they're releasing in the moment. Sometimes, sometimes there will be something like that during the session uh, of that, that moment. Um, I had, I had a, a boudoir client last year who I had her standing in my, my home is also my photo studio. And I had her standing inside my dining room window um, in bra and panties. And she's this beautiful round, a round belly um, and a tattoo right on her belly. And, uh, and I was like, I want to focus on that. Like, uh, you know, just in this beautiful natural light. And she said, oh, and you could just see like that moment on her face of not only is it worth focusing on, but here's this fancy pants professional photographer who's like, hold still, your belly's amazing. Um, and then sometimes, sometimes it'll come out when people see their photos. Um, and I, cause I always sit down with people in person or since the pandemic, it's been on Zoom, um, because we're, we're being very cautious, but, uh, but I always sit down and support people the first time they see their photos because it's a very vulnerable experience. And so sometimes like the second somebody sees, it might be the first photo, it might be the 50th in, in the succession, but sometimes there'll be that moment when people see the photos. And then, and then sometimes people, if people are having one, they hide it and I don't know, but yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's so neat to be with people in those moments. You know, what a gift that you get to hold that space for them. Okay. Newsletter. So your newsletter, I have, I imagine that so much labor goes into it because you write, you have links to all kinds of amazing fat events and things that are going on in the fat activism space. And it's just, it's so meaty, Lindley. So I've always been really curious, like, what does it take to actually create this newsletter? Well, one of my autistic superpowers is, is, is this sort of information collection and sorting. Um, I love collecting things. I love sorting things. Um, if you are, if you are watching the video, you can see the plant that's beside me. I have about 70 or 80 more that you can't see. Um, and I like going and rearranging all my plants. Um, <laughs> I like, I, I, I love collecting pretty images off the internet and sorting them. Um, it's very, it's very much a stimming thing for me to, uh, collect things and then sort them out and then sort them a different way. <laughs> so, so I, I was taking in and sort of, mentally processing this information long before I started creating a newsletter format out of it. Um, and I sort of had these scattered, I had the calendar on the website as a post that I was updating. And then I had, I had links here and, and some posts about that and other places. And, and uh, Kelly Deals actually was the one who said, Lindley, turn that into your newsletter. Why are you putting this all over the place where people can't find it? And, uh, and yeah, that was an absolutely genius suggestion. Um, and so that was how the newsletter got started. I was like, yeah, I can put that all in one place. That's fine. Um, and so it does take, I don't know, it's hard to say how much time it takes overall because, uh, because in my work, I'm spending a lot of time on social media anyway. And so I'm just seeing these things as I'm scrolling Twitter or scrolling Instagram, whatever. Um, and I'm just noting them as I come across them. Um, but it takes, it takes probably a few hours to then make, put all that in a usable format. And then the writing end of it, 
it can take anywhere from five minutes to a day. <laughs> um, because I often have things sort of simmering on the mental back burner uh, until usually somebody will take me off on the internet and then it coalesces into rage, <laughs> I know, I know. rage. I love it. <laughs> Someone is wrong on the internet. And rather than arguing about that, in, about it with that individual, I turn it into a lecture for my newsletter or for Patreon. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, I'll definitely include a link to the newsletter and everyone listening should subscribe. It really is done so well and Lee. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of it, it's I enjoy doing it. There's never a, there's never a week where I go, oh, I don't want to do the newsletter <laughs> because it, it meshes so well with my personal style and preferences anyway. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, like it's opposite of what my strengths are. <laughs> so I would, because I thought, oh, I should have a newsletter and I go, oh, yeah, it's, whereas I will do a full day of what we're doing right now. No problem. <laughs> and and we, we need people with all these different, all these different strengths because I would rather stab myself in the eye than do audio editing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it works out really well. It does. It does. Amazing. So I want to bring us to your connection to Joy Lindley. What, how do you feel about joy? How do you bring joy into your life? I know we know how you'd bring it into your work, but what about for you personally? Yeah. And it's so important personally, because uh, again, I'm going to be a little bit trite and talk about how you have to fill your own cup to pour into other people. Um working, working through therapy, honestly, therapy is there. It was going to be a whole sentence, but it's really just that one word therapy, um, therapy and, and anxiety medication, because I assumed everyone lived in a state of panic all the time. And it turns out that's not true. Uh, and so a few years ago I started, um, coincidentally, it was right after the pandemic started, but it was a process I had already been working on. Um, I did start taking anxiety medication and that opened up so much space for pleasure and joy and, um, and compassion and empathy in my life. Uh, because it turns out when you're not activated all the time, you can access those things more easily. Um, working through my own body shame, my own mental stuff, honoring, honoring my own needs again is making the space for that. Um, and, and then finding the things that finding the things that brought me joy as a kid. Oh, yes. Going back to those. Yeah. Because I was an extremely nerdy kid. I'm a pretty nerdy adult. And but but so much of that uh was met with societal or familial or uh whatever disapproval. Um I'm 42. Three, 42 years old. <laughs> and I love shiny rocks and stuffed animals and shells and plants. And um, again, just off camera, I have a whole aquarium that's a giant terrarium now for all my shiny plants. And, and I have a whole cabinet behind me full of shiny rocks. And I go to the beach uh, here outside Seattle and I pick up rocks and I buy stuffed animals. And I just generally have returned to those things that brought me joy as a kid. And I've found that that is so reliably a way to find joy as an adult too. Now that I'm allowing myself to access these things that aren't, that are uncool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that 
yeah, that you're making me think what, cause I, I'm also a 1980s baby. I'm 42, about to be 43. And I also collected all those things. Like as you're listing it, I'm like, oh yeah, I used to like tumble my own rocks and I'd like sticker book collections. And yeah, my mom, even when I was, as, as, do you remember scratch and sniff and puffy stickers and not, and oh my God, I feel joy just even thinking about them. So you're actually making me think, oh, is there some, is there a version of that that I have not engaged in that might be useful? Love that. All right, everyone listening, think back to when you were a kid. What did you love to do? And what's like a flavor of that that you can bring in? That's 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 your homework for everyone who's listening. Bring something that brought you joy as a kid into your life this week. Oh, I love that, Lindley. You are wonderful. I'm so honored to have been able to talk to you. I just, you're such a beacon of light in the world for fat liberation and body acceptance and just, yeah, a fat person doing cool shit in the world, which is kind of like why I started the podcast. So thank you for being a nerd um, and sharing your nerddom with us and all your gifts. I'm just, yeah, it's been wonderful, wonderful to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. I loved hearing how Lindley's business grew as she was invited into more spaces to share her expertise and her perspectives on fat liberation. It felt organic, it felt playful, and it also really feels like a lot of trust, trusting in herself, trusting in what she's doing, having a place and in the world and worthiness as well. And that feeling that I got from Lindley, I feel when I read this poem. It's called Dawn Revisited, and it's by Rita Dove. Imagine you wake up with a second chance. The blue jay hawks his pretty wares, and the oak still stands spreading glorious shade. If you don't look back, the future never happens. How good to rise in sunlight, in the prodigal smell of biscuits, egg, and sausage on the grill. The whole sky is yours to write on, blown open to a blank page. Come on, shake a leg. You'll never know who's down there frying those eggs if you don't get up and see. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.